Take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 1. It's kind of fun to be back in Romans again after being out for several weeks, a couple of weeks on vacation, and then last week just coming around the Lord's table and looking at the meaning of covenant, union and communion with Christ, in covenant with Christ. It's just a joy to be back in this, uh, in this series uh, looking at Romans. You know, one of the things we talked about from the very beginning it's one of the things that Luther said about this book in his commentary in the opening words was that he said the chief purpose of Romans is to break down, to pluck up, and to destroy all wisdom and righteousness of the flesh. In other words, to break down every human idol is what Luther would be talking about in that statement about this book. Paul is going to deal with idols today, as we will at other places in the book, but today he's going to kind of reduce it. And we want to remember something about this first chapter. We're really first chapter through the third chapter, verse 20. And that is in those chapters, the Apostle Paul is showing us what the world is like and why every person, every man, woman, boy, and girl within the world needs Christ. He's showing us right now what the pagan world is like or the Gentile world. And he's saying, but they are idolatrous, and they look to idols, and they exchange truth, and all sorts of things. And we'll get into that a little bit this morning. But he's saying, the Gentile world, the pagan world, is in need of Christ. He's also going to say that the moral people in the world are in need of Christ. Not just those that we look at and say, oh man, they are really bad people. But everyone who is outside of Christ, even if they're trying through their own moralism, to be right with God, they need Christ. And then finally, it'll come to the religious people. They're, they're not pagans, they're not just moralists, but they're very devoutly religious, and, and they live for their religion. And Paul is going to say, even your religion can't save you if it's not centered in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to spend almost three chapters saying that, and he's going to conclude it with chapter 3, verse 20, where he says, all men have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, you might say, well, why didn't he just say that and have it done with? Because he really goes to great pains to show us that all men, everywhere, at all times, apart from Christ, sin and fall short of God's glory. That only Christ has lived up to that glory. Only Christ has lived up to the life that is required to have a right relationship with God. And it's only through our relationship with Christ that we can enter into what we're talking about this whole year, enter into Coram Deo, living in His presence, living before His face, living under His authority, and living for His glory, casting down, as we sang earlier, casting down every idol in order to stand looking at the living and the true God as our only hope, our only salvation, the only person that is worthy of our worship and indeed worthy of our lives. Paul is concerned that we see the depth of depravity, the depth of depravity in religion that's outside of, of the gospel, depth of depravity that's in morality that's just trying to look good, and the depth of depravity in the pagan world that needs Christ obviously. So Luther says that's what Romans is setting out to do. That's what Paul is setting out to do in this book. He wants to tear down every hope of, of your own righteousness of the flesh, every hope of your own wisdom in the flesh, and turn your attention toward Christ. Hear what Paul says in Romans 1, 20 through 25. I think your bulletin says 23. 
I put that in there and I made a typo. So if you're one of these that has, has to have a corrected bulletin, change 23 to 25, okay? And it'll be just right. Okay. Hear the word of the Lord. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived or clearly seen ever since the creation of the world. We talked about that three weeks ago. In the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. That is, everyone who lives in this world is without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them over, or gave them up, in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever amen the apostle Paul makes it very clear that those who are outside of Christ those who are living in the world really in this case perhaps without any religion other than their own man-made self-made religion maybe even the religion of worshiping self those who are outside of Christ are, are in, in, a, in, a, in a way looking only to, to what is false and what is a lie and what is outside of any realm of the truth. He's saying, listen, they, the, the key word here is they exchanged. He, he said, in the world, in the creation, as, as Psalm 19 says, the heavens are declaring the glory of God and, and the firmament is showing his truth that even though they saw God's revelation in general revelation, even though they saw God's presence in all that he created, they exchanged that for something else. They said, we don't want to worship a God who created this. We don't even want to think about a creator. We want to worship other things. We want to look to other things. We want to put our trust in other things. And that's exactly what they did. A key word here in this passage today is that idea of exchange. They knew that God was there. They knew that he existed, but they exchanged his glory, his glory for other things, for for images resembling man and birds and animals and creeping things. But not only that, they exchanged the truth about God, which had been spoken by the prophets and the law and and even in the gospels. They They had rejected and exchanged the truth about God for what Paul simply says is a lie. And that lie can manifest itself in a million different ways. You know, we think about there being all sorts of false, false teachings out there, all f- sorts of false worldviews out there, and we'll talk about that from time to time. But when you boil it all down and come to the real center and the core of the matter, what Paul is saying here is everything that's out of Christ is following a lie. I don't care if it's a false religion or a false worldview or what it is. If it's not following the truth, the revealed truth of the living God, it is following a lie. And Paul says man, in their nature, in man's fallen nature, would rather exchange the truth of God for a lie, would rather exchange the glory of God to try to gain some glory for themselves and for that which is around them. I think Paul, no doubt, had in mind as he wrote those words, Jeremiah chapter 2, 
In Jeremiah chapter 2, the prophet says this, or God says through the prophet, Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have, have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils, two sins, two exchanges. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Jeremiah is saying the same thing that the Apostle Paul is saying. Jeremiah is saying, you know, there is truth and there is a living and true God. There is someone that's worthy to be worshipped, but man in his fallen nature rejects that and runs from that and wants to exchange for anything for that. And only the grace of God, only the work of the Spirit, only understanding the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ and having that applied to one's life by the Holy Spirit, do we move away from that and we, we move away from idols and we cast down idols and move forward to what God has called us to be. Truth is, the Scripture is very blunt. The, the Scriptures are very plain. And that is, you're either going to worship God are you going to worship idols? Are you going to worship God who has revealed himself through Jesus Christ? And, and, and you're either going to worship him and, and bow down to him and acknowledge him, or, or you're going to follow after idols. And it might be a, any number of idols, and it might even be the idol of self and, and pleasure and, and whatever I want out of life more than what God wants for my life to be. That's exactly what Paul is talking about. When we in our modern world... Think of the term idolatry. We very well might be tempted to think of some kind of picture of, of primitive people bowing down to statues and totem poles and things of that nature. Or we might think of the golden calf back in the Exodus when the children of Israel were brought out of, out of bondage in Egypt and were taken up on, and Moses was gone up on the mountain to receive the, the Ten Commandments, the law, the covenant. And they got weary and got tired, and they began to form for themselves a, an image, a golden calf, and they danced around it and worshipped around it and uh, did all sorts of things around that golden calf. Or you might think of Baal, the, the, the false god of the Canaanites. And, and you might think about how in, in Elijah's day, the, the people of God had turned from the true and living God to follow after the Baal and, and other gods of that particular day and of those people that were around them. We might think of the Greek gods, like, uh, like Artemis in Acts 19, when Paul went into the city and he started preaching against the, the false gods and the idols, and he said, you know, these idols are no, are no gods. These idols have no power. They can't speak, they can't hear, they can't walk, they have feet and they have eyes and all these things that are trimmed about them, but they can't do anything, and yet you're trusting your life in essence, to this idol that can do nothing, stirred up quite a crowd. We'll talk about that a little later. And uh, people got very upset, especially the silversmith who was making money off of making, you know, uh, statues of Artemis and, and, and making maybe bobbleheads of Artemis and, and uh, coffee mugs of Artemis. I mean, you know, all sorts of things could be made to that false god. And when his income was threatened, the false god who could do nothing caused quite a stir among the people. We might think of Athens in Acts 17 
And the Apostle Paul went into Athens, and he, as he went through the city, he, he basically said the town was full of idols. Everywhere he went, he saw an idol. Every time he turned around, there was a different idol, and it had the name of the God under it. And there, were, there were idols everywhere, and Paul spoke about this being a, a city, this being a, a people that are full of idolatry and full of idols. And so much so, and they were so afraid they might offend some god by leaving them out that they set up a statue and, and named it the, the, the idol to the unknown god just so they cover all their bases. You know, we, we think about that and we think, how foolish is that sort of thing? But if you look at our nation today, if you look at the United States of America, forget everybody else in the world, there, there's plenty to go around, but... Just think about where we live. Think about the United States. Think about Kentucky. Think about Somerset, Pulaski County. Think about what goes on around us and read these verses and see if they don't describe exactly what's taking place in our culture. They've exchanged the glory of God for their own pleasure. They've exchanged the glory of God for that which they can manipulate and which they can enjoy and have their hands on. They've exchanged the the truth of God for a lie. And they're pursuing that lie in every way they can. Folks, when Paul saw that in Athens, he wept. When, when Paul saw these false gods and the people giving homage to those false gods, he wept because he knew those people were being deceived and they were following after something that was not real. And he knew that he had met the living and the true God through Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And his heart was broken. And I wonder, I wonder myself, I challenge myself on this. Am I as brokenhearted to see the false idols and the false gods and the, the denial of God's truth and the, the exchanging of God's glory for, for, for nothing? It's all around us. Do I weep over our culture? Do I weep over our neighborhood? Do I weep that false gods are everywhere? Idols are everywhere. Now, most of us are not tempted, even in Somerset, to do the things that, that Paul described. Most of us aren't tempted to build some kind of an image or build some kind of an altar in our home. But you know, the truth of the matter is, we're tempted to be idolaters every day. Even believers are tempted to be idolaters. Because even though we, we are in Christ and even though we've given a new life, we still struggle daily with, with, with sin, we still struggle, Paul says in Romans 7, with sin that still dwells in us. And that sin raises up an ugly head to call us to, to, to some kind of idolatry every single day. Now, I'm convinced that Scripture says that we will not follow ultimately that idolatry and that a believer cannot ultimately give themselves to the idol that if they give themselves the idol they're proving they're really not a believer from the beginning but but the truth of the matter is we're all tempted but we see it in our culture all around us at its core at its heart what Paul is talking about here about idolatry serving the creature rather than the creator exchanging the truth of God about God and the truth of God for a lie and exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images of mortal man, etc. At its very core, idolatry is serving any created thing rather than the Creator. 
And you might do it without even acknowledging that you're doing it. Luther, in his the first question of his or in his catechism on the on, on discussing the first commandment, when it says, You shall have no other gods before me. In that catechism, when asked the question about the first commandment, this is how he defined it, idolatry. He said, whatever your heart clings to and relies upon, that is your God. Whatever your heart clings to and relies upon, that is your God. If if your heart is not clinging to Jesus, if your heart is not clinging to and relying upon Christ in every respect, if your heart is not pursuing after Him with a desire for Coram Deo, to live in His presence, live under His authority, and live for His glory, then, then Paul says, ask yourself. Ask yourself, where is your heart? What are you clinging to? What are you relying upon? Is it the job you have? Is it the relationships you're in? Is it your bank account? Is it property that you have or things that you possess? Is that what you're really trusting in? Or is it the Lord Jesus Christ? In the midst of good times as well as in the midst of bad times. Idolatry is defined all throughout Scripture. Remember, one Jewish historian and theologian said that the the whole of the history of Israel, the whole of the history of Israel was, was the challenge of turning away from the true and living God to idols. And God was constantly sending prophets and saying, turn away from the idols and turn back to God. Turn away from that which is untrue and back to the truth. And you know, in our own day, that's still what God is sending us to call people to do. Nothing has changed in thousands of years. Idolatry is still a major issue. Interestingly, in in Colossians and also in Ephesians, Paul called covetousness idolatry. Think about that. Paul said covetous, which amounts to idolatry. When you think about that, do you view coveting something as being idolatry? No. In America, we call it shopping. You know, we just call it wanting what we want, going after what we want, pursuing what we think we need in this life. It's not covetousness. It's not idolatry. Paul says it is. Paul said anytime you bow down to anything and anything just takes the the control of your life, that can become an idol. Your heart is so focused on it that it focuses off the Lord Jesus Christ and focuses on that. And there you find yourself pursuing it. In 2 Timothy, Paul said that in the last days, the days before Christ's return, people will be lovers of self and lovers of money. They'll be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And John said in his little first epistle, he said, Do not love the world, because if you're loving the world, you are, you are an idolater and you're not loving the Father. And as he closed out his book, he said, Little children, flee from idols. Flee from idolatry. And pursue, he implies, and pursue Jesus Christ with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. G.K. Chesterton made an observation that I think is true of our day, and true of all time, really. He said, When we cease to worship God, 
we do not worship nothing, but rather we worship anything. When we cease to worship God, we don't just quit worshiping. We just say, we're not going to worship anything. The atheist would say, I don't worship anything. They're lying. They're, they're fools, Paul says in this passage in Romans 1. They, they say, oh, we're not going to worship the true and living God. We're not going to worship anything. But you look at their life and you see they worship stuff or they worship themselves. As I said in the title, if there is no God, then I must be Him. Quite simply. If there is no God, I can be God. I can be my own God. I can be the, the controller of my own destiny. I can pursue what I want and not worry about what God wants or think about what God wants in my life and in my soul. Paul says a believer will not be that way. A believer, that's one reason. Listen, I want you to see this film tonight. If you haven't seen it, I want you to see it so bad. Because I want you to see Christians in Afghanistan and Christians in China and, and Christians in, in Russia and, and the former Soviet Union. I want you to see Christians there and how they view their walk with Christ. Let me tell you something. It won't look like what most Americans walk with Christ looks like. You say, well, Bill, do you, you just want to do that so we'll have a, you put us on a guilt trip? Absolutely not. The last thing I want you to be is on a guilt trip. What I do want you to see is what, what biblical Christianity looks like. Because I'm as guilty as the next person of giving in to an American Christianity that many times is an idolatrous Christianity that may or may not be the real thing. Now, God ought to be convicting us of that. And I, I think he uses Nick Ripkin's story in that that film and the book you wrote of the same name, same title, that he uses that to show us that, listen, in other parts of the world, Christ is at work in phenomenal ways. And it's not just on Sunday morning for one hour or an hour and a half. It's, it's daily. I'll give you a little teaser here. I've used this before, but when he's in China and he's talking to these Christians who are having to worship underground, in hiding, because it's illegal to worship Christ. And, and finally, Nick speaks to the whole group and, and, and wants to ask them some questions. And one person raises, before you ask us any questions, we've got a question we want to ask you. And the question, talk about living in a, in a closed society. They're in a closed society, a closed culture. And, and the question they ask him, tell us, has Jesus made it anywhere else in the world besides China? Sometimes we look at Jesus and think he's just a telemarketer. Hey, I've got something that'll make your life better. Got something that'll make you happier. Got, got something that can give you pleasure right now. All your troubles will be gone. All your problems will be solved. All your issues will be gone. That's American Christianity. And that's not biblical Christianity. Paul says, I want you to understand, pagans worship idols. Pagans let idols take over your life. If you look back to, I mentioned the story of, of Artemis back in 
Acts chapter 17, don't, or 19 rather, don't turn there, but I want, you to, I want you to think about what took place in that riot when Paul made the statement and said, listen, there is no true life in any of these idols. There's nothing there except silver and gold, and, and, and there is nothing there. And so when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And, and for hours they went on crying, the city filled with the confusion and saying over and over, Great is Artemis the, of the Ephesians. You know, we, we're not going to give up our gods because we make money off Artemis. We make, we make our living off of him, or her rather. And we will not give up the goddess. But the thing Paul wanted them to see, and the thing Paul wants us to see in Romans chapter 1 is simply this. An idol is anything that promises you life, a life of security and joy apart from Him, apart from Christ. An idol is anything that promises you a life of security and a life of joy that's apart from Him. I don't care if it's a relationship that's immoral. I don't care if it's a bank account that's got to be big so that you'll feel secure. I was watching my favorite TV show last night. It's been my favorite TV show for decades. It's called Family Feud. I'm a Family Feud nerd. But one of the questions it asked was what do most men or families fear the most? And, and what do they fear they won't have enough for, enough money for. You know what the number one answer was? Any guess? What? No. What's your, what's your biggest fear that you won't have enough money for? Retirement. Thank you from the sound booth. Y'all afraid to talk to me today? That was the number one fear. I won't have enough for retirement. Why? Because that retirement's going to give me security. That retirement's going to give me some semblance of joy. That retirement fund I've got built up is going to make life easy for me. I don't have to work and I still get paid. It's a great American ideal. But that can become an idol, even for a believer. Because you see, if we see a point in our time, whether it's 66 or 70 or, or whatever, when we say, okay, we got enough now, we don't have to work anymore, we can just live a life of leisure, and we're taken care of by Social Security and by our retirement fund we built up, we're okay. Oh, we don't need God now. Oh, we'll give him lip service. We'll say, oh, Lord, you're our God. But this is what our security's in. This is what our trust is in. Paul would say, that is an idol. He ought to be the source of your security. He ought to be a source of your joy. Another idol in our culture is happiness. I just want to be happy. And I believe God wants me to be happy. So I, I, I go after things that promise me happiness apart from Christ, apart from obedience to God. And, and God says, that's an idol. 
Second thing about idols are they, they engage the deepest emotions in our heart. You notice there in Acts chapter 19, when, when they came in and threatened the idols, when, when Artemis' power was threatened and his prowess was threatened, the, the people got enraged. They, they got angry. They rioted. What is it in your life that you think about, man, I can't survive without this. If this were taken away, I just don't want to live anymore. What is it that in your life a possible loss not only makes you frightened, but makes you despair? Paul would say that's an idol. And you need to deal with it before God. As you see in Acts 19, idols need to be protected. You know, idols, uh, Demetrius, the, the silversmith, he said, look, we can't let Paul do this because our idol is, is everything in our town and, and we cannot let Paul defame or speak against or, or, or in any way uh, you know, put down our idol. He said, we've got to put him down. We've got to shut him up. What is it in your life that if something raises up and threatens that, then you're ready to fight. You're ready to do whatever it takes to defend it. Idols have to be defended. Christ doesn't have to be defended. God's Word doesn't have to be defended. I love what Spurgeon said. Spurgeon said the the Word of God is like a lion, a caged lion. You don't have to defend Him. You just open the gate and let Him take care of things. And God's that way. Christ is that way. The Word of God is that way. We don't have to be defensive. We just need to look to him. One thing's clear that Paul makes in all of this, and that is that the gospel overcomes our idolatry. The gospel crushes our idols. The gospel pushes them aside. The gospel shows us that the the only real life of of meaning and joy and security and happiness and and true pleasure is found in living Coram Deo, in His presence. Knowing Him, worshiping Him, acknowledging Him in everything. And bowing before Him and not anything else. From the very beginning... It's been, you shall have no other gods before me. From the very beginning, it's been, you shall not make a graven image in any kind of likeness to to aid your worship. You just worship me in spirit and truth. From the very beginning, it's it's been, you you, you shall not have any other gods before me. You shall not bow down to anything other than me. And from the very beginning, even God's people have struggled with that. And from the very beginning, right up into the 21st century, we have to refocus, we have to accept the Holy Spirit's rebuke in our spirits from time to time. We have to to say, Lord, I'm not growing in you as I desire so to be growing. Sanctify me by your truth, O Lord. Build your truth into my life and change me by it. Lord, let your truth Strike down every idol. Let your truth 
be the thing that guides me. Lord, do not let me exchange the glory of you. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name be all glory. That passage Pastor Ricky read earlier. But to your name be all glory. Lord, let us not exchange your glory for mortal man and stuff that will pass away, that will vanish, or burn up, or can rust away, or can be stolen. Lord, let our trust, let our glory be in you. Never let us exchange that. And Lord, don't let us exchange your truth for a lie. Don't let's exchange your truth for a lie. We're going to talk more in the next few weeks about lies that we believe. Lies that our culture believes and why they need the gospel and why we should be weeping over Somerset. We see the idolatry rampant. Lord, give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not bend our knee to another. But let us worship you and you alone. Let's pray together.